Would you consider yourself a chronic worrier? You know, I feel some people are chronic worriers. Um, Irma Bombach, one of my favorite theologians, said this. (laughs) Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere. There was a story about a guy who decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him, and so he offered the guy $200,000 for the job. After the man accepted the job, he asked the guy how he's going to pay for it, and his response was, that's your worry, not mine. <laughs> well, what do you worry about? What are the things that you worry about? You know, many of our worries are really centered around a lot of financial insecurity, when you think about it. How are you going to pay your bills? How, how do we have enough for retirement? What if I get sick and have to go on disability? How am I going to put my kids through college? What what if Social Security goes bankrupt? The cost of medical care keeps skyrocketing. How am I going to pay for those expensive prescriptions? How how am I ever going to pay off my student loans? What if uh, we have another recession? What if the stock market tanks? What's going to happen if Hillary or or, uh, Donald gets elected? Uh, Well, let's move on, okay? Well, Jesus has the answer to all of this, and it's found in our passage where he speaks to this issue on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you take your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Now, last week I got scolded for reading too fast, so I'm going to slow way down, give you a chance to, uh, to look at this. He starts out by saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. A lot of wisdom there, isn't there? 
That's a, a full passage, and I decided to cover that full passage with you this morning because they really are connected. Sometimes we, we take the seek ye first kingdom of God piece, and we separate that out from where your treasure is, your heart is also. But they really run together. That's what Jesus is trying to say, how to overcome worry, especially about financial insecurity. So he starts out in verse 19 and he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You look at that word store and it sort of means hoard. It's hoarding treasures here on earth. It has a selfish connotation to it. Uh, how many of you, I don't know, watch American Pickers? Anybody watch that show? I really enjoy watching American Pickers. I have this secret desire to be a picker. You know, I'd really like to do that. I, I love being entrepreneurial and kind of flipping things. So I've been flipping cars for years and we won't go into how many, but uh, that'll, that'll break. Uh, well, I won't go there. Okay. The point is this. You, you go into some of these places where these guys go and you see what these people have accumulated over their lifetime. And it's absolutely amazing. I mean, the stuff they have, it's a, it's a fortune of stuff and they can't part with it. Because it's their security. It's what they put their security into. And it seems to me so selfish. It, it, it's, it's so uh, ridiculous when you, when you think about it. So this first principle I want to share with you this morning is this. If we think that everything we have is ours, then we become hoarders in God's economy. Do you think that everything you have is yours? If we do, then we become hoarders in terms of God's economy. Is it your house? Is it your car? Is it your clothes? Is it your family? Are they all yours or are they God's? You know, there's a saying, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. There's a lot of people today who live that very much from day to day. Somebody else wrote this. They said, you know, if you heap up manure and let it sit, all it does is stink. But if you spread it around, it helps things grow. So God counters that and says, stop hoarding your stuff because it's not your stuff. And so he secondly says, but store up treasures in heaven, verse 20, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, if you're going to hoard something, you're going to hoard treasures that will go on for eternity. You want to invest in eternity. That's, our, that's what his desire is. So what is he saying? What are those treasures that we invest? It's our time, our talent, and our treasures, right? It's the time that we have that we've been allotted while we're on this earth. It's our talents and our abilities, and it's our treasures, those things that God has given us, those, those items, those, that stuff. And if we don't use those things to bring about an eternal result, then we're really wasting a lot of what God's called us to be here on this planet. Because he says, where your treasure is then, there is your heart also. So here's principle number two. If we understand that everything we have is God's, we have a better chance of using those things for eternal purposes, right? If it's not mine, but it's God's, it's real easy for us to be generous and to give away those kinds of things, right? But if we think it's all our stuff, then we're going to hang on to it pretty tightly, because of all of our insecurities and our worries about the future. But if we really let it go and realize that these are things that God wants to use for his purposes, then our treasure is in the right place. So in verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So here's principle number three. Treasures in heaven are defined by the integrity of one's heart. Somebody said this, do your giving while you're living, then you'll know where it's going. 
There's a great story about a farmer who went to his wife and uh, he said, honey, I'm so excited. And she said, what's it all about? And he said, our, our prize cow just had twin calves. And he said, one of them's white or red and one of them's white. And he said, you know what I'm going to do, dear? I'm going to give one of those calves to the Lord. And she was so excited for him. He said, yeah, I'm going to give the, one of those calves to the Lord. He says, which one? He says, I don't know, but I'll feed them both the same and then I'll decide. And then a few weeks later, he came in with a sad frown on his face. And he said to his wife, said, what's going on? He said, oh, the Lord's calf died. <laughs> you know, the integrity of the heart is really important. And, and, and if we don't really look at the things that we have and say, Lord, this is yours, it's all yours, then we're going to be a whole lot more generous and we're going to worry less. Because there's a direct correlation between generosity and worry. You thought about that before? Have you ever noticed that generous people are not worriers as much? People who know how to give their time and talents and treasures don't have as much to worry about. It's fascinating when you start thinking about that. So he says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So he's saying, look, look, it's either one or the other. You can't walk the fence. You can't straddle the fence in this whole thing with money. You can't do that. Because if you straddle the fence, your heart is not in the right place. And so he makes that very clear. So principle number four here is what he's saying is there's no middle ground when it comes to serving God. You can't just fake it. You can't just be lukewarm. You can't just walk the fence in your spiritual life. Either you're hot or you're cold. Because he said if you're lukewarm, what? He'll spit you out of your mouth. So you cannot serve two masters. You remember what James said? He said a double-minded man is what? Unstable what? In all of his ways. If we're trying to serve two masters, we're double-minded. And if we're going to be double-minded, we're going to find ourselves compromising consistently. And God looks at that and says, look, that makes me sick. Either you're for me or you're against me. Come on, stand with me. So he says, listen, there's no middle ground when it comes to serving God. So let's move on. Because when he, he gets to this point about giving... He says, therefore, right? So when you ever see a therefore in scripture, it really is summarizing what just happened in front of that. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. He said, look, if you understand that everything you have is the Lord's, then you should be able to not worry about the future. You should be able to, to just rest somehow and be content and satisfied because if you understand the concept of generosity and that everything is the Lord's, your worry should be better in your life. So in verse 25, it says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. What is the difference as you think about that? What is the difference between you think worry and concern? Because, because, you know, we all have concerns and there's probably a little bit of difference. I'd like to kind of define that a little bit with you this morning. And the question is, it, it, worry is what I would say founded in fear and a lack of trust. That's maybe not in your outline, but I think worry is founded in fear and a lack of trust that God is in control. But concern is founded in trust. I'm concerned, but I do know that ultimately God is in control and that God will ultimately provide for me. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if you remember, it reads this, by the way, in the message, which I think is really a powerful way that he puts it. He says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. And he says, don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. You catch that? So he's saying, listen, concern, you can be concerned about things, but you need to trust God in that concern. There's a difference between the concern means that I'm trusting. This is something I'm interested in. I'm concerned about, but I'm not going to allow it to dominate my thinking and my emotions because I trust you, God, that ultimately you're in control. Whereas worry is all steeped in fear. And he says in verse 27, who of you by worrying can add one single hour to your life? What's ironic about that, worry has been proven to take years off of our life, right? It increases our stress level and it's what we know now is the leading cause of illness in America today. We have a a, a whole country full of worriers. Stress is enormous. Now, Now, Jesus is not saying just sit back and God will bring everything to you that you need. That's not the issue. He's not promising us prosperity like Joel Osteen, okay? He's not, this is not a prosperity gospel thing that he's perpetrating here. I mean, when you think about it, he's also said in Scripture that the poor will always be with us, right? So we know that he's not promised everybody that's going to be rich and famous and have all that they ever want or need. But if you go back to the understanding that what we have is the Lord's, if we're good stewards with that, God does give us this hope and this promise that he's going to take care of us. And I don't know about you, but there have been many times in our lives past, in my life past, that we have given oftentimes out of our poverty and God has always, always, always supplied I can remember one time back when we were church planting down in Phoenix. We came down here in 1982 on a wing and a prayer, literally. We had a, a truckload full of furniture and no place to live. And I remember we got into a little tiny house on a postage stamp lot because we'd always had acreages back in Iowa and up in Wisconsin. And, and it was really tough on our kids. And I remember one day uh, we had a, a couple that were in our core group of our church plant. And this young couple really needed something, to, some food. And so my wife, Lynn, she cleaned out all of our cupboards. And, there, and I remember my daughter coming to her and saying, Mom, what are we going to eat? And Mom said, you know what? God will fix that. God will take care of us. It wasn't with a matter. Was it about 24 hours later, hon? Not even 24 hours later, there was a knock at our door. And somebody from Scottsdale Bible Church stopped at our front door and said, could you use some steak? <laughs> How many pounds did we get? 60 pounds of steak were dropped at our front door. It was like manna, you know, (laughs) steak, ground, you know, whatever. But God supplied and our kids were able to watch that and say, you know what? We gave out of our poverty and God supplied our needs. That's an incredible principle that we need to think about. So here's principle number five. Worry does not demonstrate confidence in God's sovereignty, but instead diminishes our value to him. I want to give you an illustration this morning. Jed, are you back there? Cool. Okay. I want to share something with you. Because when we think about this concept in verse 33, thank you. 
He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, what he's saying here, he said, you want to overcome worry. You've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all that stuff will take care of itself. But do you know how we interpret that? We, we think that, that God, when we, we think about this in America today, uh, and I'm going to give you a little illustration because what we, what we have a tendency to do is we compartmentalize our life, right? Our life kind of looks like an ice cube tray. And when we think about prioritizing and seeking first the kingdom of God, what we think about is that we try to take, let's pretend that this ice cube is God, okay? And, and we're going to make him the number one priority. And so we're going to spend time making sure that we give God some of our time throughout the day, right? And so then our number two priority is we try to put another ice cube under that and we try to stack it and we say, okay, um, our family obviously it has to be number two. And so I've got to put some time into my, my schedule for my family, right? And then we can take out another block of time in our life as a priority and we say, okay, this will be my work life. And so I know I have to have work as a high priority, so I've also got to have a work, uh, work time and schedule in my life, so at least eight to ten hours a day I'm at work. So I, I put that into my time slot and my priorities, okay? And then we take some more of these out and we say, oh, this is my social life. This is my social life, and, 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 and I'm going to try to prime some time so that I can really get, I'll do, get some R&R and do some fun things. And, and then we maybe take out a few more, and we say, okay, this is my private life. This is my thought life. So I, 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 you know, I've, I've got some time to myself, and I want to be able to have some, some time to myself. And so we start taking all of these particular things that we have commitments to, and we throw them in the jug. And we try to keep God number one in all of that. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so we take all of these various things that we're committed to from day to day and week to week, and these are all these separate little ice cubes, okay? You know, if we're going to really seek first the kingdom of God, then every one of these ice cubes need to be penetrated by Jesus, right? And so as I pour Christ into every area of my life, what begins to happen? He penetrates all those areas, and after a little while, what happens to the ice cubes? You can't see them anymore. Who can you only see? Jesus. You get it? I call this the integrated Christian life. You see, the problem with us is we say to the Lord, Okay, God, I need to have, a, I need to have my devotions. So we get up in the morning and we're really disciplined, you know, and we get up and we have our devotions and we spend maybe 15, 20 minutes before we go to work or whatever we're doing. We maybe pray with our spouse and we get up and we say, okay, God, see you later. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning, right? Or, or we have our church time and we come to church on Sunday morning and, and we spend our, our couple hours at church and, and then we do our small group thing. But what happens is, is that God seems to be out of the picture during the other parts of our life. And so he's not integrated into every fabric of our being. And so, in other words, we're not really practicing the presence of Christ so that the only pe thing people see is Jesus. That's what we're looking for, right? That's what we're hoping will happen. Am I making sense this morning? Yeah. See, the, the issue that I'm trying to share with you this morning is that we don't know how to integrate Jesus into every aspect of our life because we compartmentalize so poorly. And I think men are worse than women. I've got to share that with you guys. Because men already, God has created this, this tackle box mentality, right? 
And men can kind of compartmentalize where, you know, women are in the river of life, you know, and everything kind of flows. And I think women do a better job of this than men do. But it's called practicing the presence of Christ in every area of our life so that he's penetrating it all. I call it the integrated Christian life. And so when he's saying, seek first the kingdom of God, I think that's what he's saying. And his righteousness, in other words, practicing the presence in every area of my life, is that what goes on in your life? Because when you do, you begin to worry less and you understand his presence strengthens those emotions and those things that are going on in our life. This is an uh, an illustration that I hope will be a reminder to you of what it's supposed to be when it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God. If you want to overcome worry, seek first the kingdom of God. You want to stop worrying about the future. Doesn't mean that we're not to be good stewards. Doesn't mean that we're not supposed to save. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to be rich. What he's saying is, if you make sure that Jesus is a part of every part of your fabric of your life, especially in the area of giving, you're going to find out you're going to worry a whole lot less. You know, the average person in America today gives 2.9% of their income to God, to a charity. 2.9%. It has nothing to do with what we've always considered a tithe being 10%, right? That, that's what we've historically seen in the Old Testament. And um, in the New Testament, it actually what Jesus really proposes is a sacrificial kind of giving. Because if you remember, the church at Macedonia gave out of their poverty, not out of their prosperity. So here's a close, some closing thoughts that I want to bring to your attention. The first one is this. Generosity can be a key to overcoming worry. When, when, when you give on a Sunday morning, when you give of your time and your talents and your treasure, you're going to see worry begin to dissipate. You may still have some concerns, but it's going to be because of, of trust. It's going to be because you know that God is ultimately in control. And you go back to the scripture and say, hey, you're far more valuable than the birds of the air. I just have to remember that. I was reading that one time when I was having a devotional time down in Scottsdale one afternoon when I was having my own private retreat. And I was just reading that scripture and I was sitting out on a patio of this hotel and and at that very moment when I was reading that scripture, a sparrow flies down in front of me and there was a, a wedding celebration the night before and there were still crumbs from the tables all over the grass. And I watched that sparrow come down and feed himself and I thought, oh, there's what's that, classic or not? It was a reminder to me that if God sees that those are important, he knows that you're important, your needs are important, he understands that. But I, I, I want to share that generosity can be a, a key to overcoming worry. Here's the second closing thought that I want to share with you. There is a correlation between generosity and thankfulness, right? When you're thankful for what you have, when you feel blessed, no matter how much it is, Generosity comes out of that. That's why he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in what? Prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. If we're not thankful, I mean, we have a whole generation out there right now that we talk about that that feel entitled, right? And if we live in a country, it's all about our rights. And so when we don't lay down our rights, and realize how grateful we are to live in this country and to be so thankful for what we have, out of that really comes generosity. 
And I would say then, if you're not a generous person, you're not a thankful person. Is that a little, does that rub you the wrong way? If we're not thankful, we're not going to be generous. If we're not generous, we're not going to be thankful. See, we're designed to be blessed to be a blessing. That's what God did for us, right? And we're so blessed in this country, it's ridiculous. We can complain all we want about all the taxes and all the the different things that are going on in in our world today. But by golly, living in America ain't a bad place to live. Amen? Third, worry causes us to live in the future, which can keep us from living out the present effectively. See, what, what Satan loves to do is to get our mind off the present. If he can keep us either living in the past, our past failures, our past issues, where Paul says, I got to forget behind, I got to forget that stuff. Or if he gets us so moving into the future that we can't live in the present, he's got us right where he wants us. Worry causes us to live in the future, which can keep us from living out effectively in the present. Uh, Here's what the message says in that verse 34. I like what he writes again. He says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Don't you like that? He says, let me read that again. Give your attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Hasn't he always been faithful? I know it's scary sometimes to think about what might happen in the future, but we got to live today. And God sustains us one day at a time. How many people do you know, like a Jack Butler who is dealing with ALS and other people who are suffering, how people need to learn how to live one day at a time? Oh, if we could just do that some days, right? So let's not worry about the future. So I started out this sermon this morning by asking you this question. What do you worry about most? Are you a chronic worry? What are you worried about? Worried about your health? You're worried about your future? You're worried about getting your kids in college? Some of you younger families? You're worried about your grandkids? What are you worried about? What are you worried about? Seek first the kingdom of God. Live the integrated Christian life. Allow Jesus to, to, to penetrate every part of that issue. And I trust that the worry will begin to seep away. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning as we see what Jesus was trying to say. The more we hang on to our stuff, whether it be our time, our talents, our treasures, and even our own emotions when it comes to the things about tomorrow, That's not the way he wants it to be. God, I pray that you would give us all in this room generous hearts. Forgive us, Lord, of those days when we have a tendency to hoard and say, no, that's mine, it's not yours, God. 
I pray that as believers, we would be those people who live one day at a time confidently knowing that you will provide for our needs, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you will always be there for us no matter what because you're faithful, period. So God, make us grateful and make us generous. Forgive us again for hoarding those things that are really yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.